0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Breakpoint Podcast, starring myself, Frankie.
1: And Marcus Smith.
0: And on today's episode, we're going to be starting a new series that we hope you guys will enjoy, uh, whether you're a new fan of the tour or you are an experienced, seasoned uh, tennis fan, which will be sort of player profiles. So we're going to be going through uh, probably 1 through 30, 1 through 20 of the atp tour uh, and sort of just giving a background whether it's playing style a little bit about their personal life of all the members of the tour just so that way you guys get a little bit more familiar with the various players that we have on tour Uh, as well this kind of ties in with the whole beginner series that we were doing um all which is really i think in lead up to The Netflix series that's going to be starting next year on the tour uh, or will be airing next year on the tour, which I think will be a pretty uh, big deal for any sort of tennis fandom that goes on. So in this episode, we're going to be kicking it off with number one and number two in the world, although that might be changing fairly soon, uh, which is Novak Djokovic at number one and Daniil Medvedev at number two. So, Marcus, why don't you kick us off with a little bit about Mr. Novak?
1: Yeah, quick note on that, Um, I just saw, I was just checking out the rankings, Medvedev is only about 400 points behind, so that could be changing extremely soon, which is why I think Djokovic is entering into these 500 events and trying to, um, well, you know what, he actually doesn't really care about the vaccine, so whatever rules, whatever floats his boat, anyways, Novak Djokovic, obviously we all know him, he is one of the best of all time, um, definitely in the top three of all time, that is for sure. Born and raised in war-torn Yugoslavia, how this man made it onto the pro tour is actually fascinating. Um, He literally was playing tennis while bombs were being dropped in his neighborhood. Continued to play uh, growing up as a kid, and then he was spotted by a legendary coach back in the day named Nicky Pillich. I've actually been to his academy in Germany before it went down in flames, Um, but uh, he went to the Nicky Pillich Academy in Bavaria, Germany, which is a town basically right outside uh, north of munich he trained there in the juniors and then uh he was always one of those guys who was just so good at such a young age he came out onto the pro tour scene in around 2005 2006 um, he won his first masters 1000s in 2007 i believe and then his first grand slam already in 2008 so he went uh, on a pretty high trajectory quickly 2009 and 10, he had some down years. It was kind of dominated by Federer and Nadal again. And then 2011, he went on his gluten-free diet and just went absolutely ballistic. And has essentially dominated men's tennis since. A quick player profile on him and how he plays. Uh, he's about six foot two, and he is one of the most balanced, fast, and flexible players that we have ever seen uh, in one package. Frank, he's got arguably the best backhand and return of all time his forehand has also improved tremendously since back in the day it's become a weapon in and of itself and his serve used to be a major liability to the point where he would lose a lot of matches because of his double faults and he would hitch frank do you remember back in the day when he was you know doing the 36 uh, times ball bounce
0: yeah, those were the the best Djokovic days. Uh the other thing that I would point out about his childhood/slash uh, you know, start to the tour was he was also a really, really fantastic skier, um, which is really attributable to the sort of balance and flexibility that I think separates Novak Djokovic from probably any other player on the tour, is that from a very young age, this guy had like what he's about six two, six three. Um, but his flexibility is just off the charts. I mean, he's able to do full splits on the court like it's nothing and he's always had that uh no matter what. So, yeah, Novak uh when he came on the scene was definitely very fiery more so than Roger and Rafa were. Um even though we think of Rafa as fiery, they it wasn't the same as as Djokovic and sort of like Marcus alluded to, he his story is just simply unreal. Uh the fact that he was able to make it out of uh, you know, what is now Serbia is nothing short of miraculous. Um, and he has really done the one thing you have to give him more than anything is that he has done a a tremendous job of trying to build the sport, you know, not only in Serbia, but in all of the former Yugoslavian countries. And, um, you know, that, that I do give him a a lot of credit for. Um, so yeah, I, I, I generally, I agree with everything that Marcus said. I think, he is a complete freak of nature uh he completely reshaped the mold of what we thought the ideal tennis player should be like from a physical standpoint i think um you know maybe del potro was the player that the current next gen are, are sort of built on but the person that was even before del potro was was sort of novak jokovic jokovic was considered like right on that edge of like oh maybe he's a little bit too tall but um novak was the tallest of the big three and yet able to move seemingly better than all of them so that that i think is what separates um novak from from everyone else that and i think that the constant evolution of his game more so than any of the others that i will also say i think whether it's the serve transformation that has happened the general play style transformation that has happened from defense to offense And the last and most important one, the mental game transformation that went from a massive liability to probably the strongest part of his game.
1: Yeah. And it would be tough not to mention his physical as well. So into that, like I mentioned before, with the gluten free diet, and then uh, in 2010, he found out that he had, I guess, a gluten allergy and that it was kind of uh, bringing him down and he wasn't getting enough oxygen in his blood. And he went to this kind of crazy gluten free diet. And ever since he's been a physical Beast, I mean, he's played in some of the most epic, you know, finals. uh, What comes to mind is 2012 Australian Open final against Nadal, where he played over six hours and he's ripping his T-shirt off after that. And he looked like he could go another couple hours. It was insane. Um, But yeah, I agree that his mental game has essentially, he has weaponized his mental game. You've heard him talk in interviews about how he visualizes and about how he takes the crowd's negative energy towards him and he turns it into positive energy for himself it's something that all athletes and honestly, all people can, uh, can learn from this. And yeah, it's, you know, he's had some hiccups along the way. Definitely. Um, 2020 U S open comes to mind. He, um, you know, ball into a line judge's throat. So, (laughs) you know, uh, these things happen. Um, But, uh, but yeah, so Frank, let's, let's move into number two here. We've had a, you can talk about Djokovic all day long, I think. Daniil Medvedev is the current world number two. We spoke about him in the beginning, and we're going to get into him right now. He's also a fascinating story. Um, grew up in uh, in Russia, moved to France pretty early on to start training tennis, but was not really recognized by the Russian Tennis Federation. Take us through a little detail of that.
0: Yeah, so Medvedev was very much not the golden child of the Russian Tennis Federation. That I think Mantle belonged to two players, number one. First and foremost was Karen Kachanov, and number two being Andre Rublev. Uh, Medvedev was very much considered like an afterthought. He had this super unorthodox and still does super unorthodox way of playing. Um, his backhand was actually considered a major liability in his early days of being a junior. Uh, Marcus and I were looking this up beforehand. Uh, I know everyone's proud of us for actually doing our research and not just ad-libbing this before, but we um, we did look up that Med- Medvedev uh, never went past the third round of a grand slam as a junior, uh, which I think is, is a really fascinating statistic and also sort of tells you how little weight and emphasis you can put on these like junior grand slams and what they mean effectively nowadays because what you're going to notice as we move on to sort of the more next gen top level players is that almost none of them played junior level events. Like almost all of them were um, just pretty much straight onto the tour or did like challengers and all that. First there's, there's going to be one or two exceptions, but like for the most part, I think that that sort of path of tennis has very much changed since like, let's say the early two thousands or the 1990s, but yeah medvedev medvedev is a i think is a really fascinating guy he's also a really super super intelligent dude like he's a really fantastic chess player he um enrolled at university to study physics and math um and then i think he also does like business or like economics something like that um as well so he's a definite brainiac he always says that he's sort of a brainiac and he you know, tries to bring in that sort of side of his personality into tennis, which I think is really good for the game. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think Medvedev is, is really the epitome of the phrase. Um, he's playing chess and everyone else is playing checkers. That's always the way that I've described Medvedev's game. Uh, and I think that that you can see that reflected in his background.
1: Yeah, his, his tennis IQ is absolutely off the charts. I mean, watching him is an absolute pleasure just from the tactical and strategic standpoint of where he's hitting balls and where he's making other opponents so uncomfortable. I've never watched a match, you know, maybe albeit besides a clay match of his, but where he hasn't made the opponent look like really frustrated and uncomfortable out there. And I think that's something that also a lot of juniors can take away from, is that you don't necessarily have to be so good yourself and hit winners all the time, but really just make the other person feel uncomfortable out there. And he is an absolute master of that. We've seen him do that. I mean, he made you know Novak Djokovic look like an amateur at the U.S. Open, really. Uh, Djokovic was incredibly frustrated. He's had some really tough matches with Nadal. Nadal's the only one who seems to kind of manage well against him. Um, Him and of trade matches here and there. But yeah, he's he's a real character for tennis. He's funny. He does some outrageous things sometimes. Uh, does he go overboard sometimes? Yeah, but you know what? The sport needs that really. We absolutely need that because we were missing that fire for a long time.
0: Sport needs it so badly. What Daniil brings to the tour is so, so needed. He's so like eclectic and crazy on the court sometimes, whether it's saying like, I don't want to be here right now. And you see like Andre Rublev, like laughing in the stands at him. Like it's just Daniil. Daniil has such an extroverted, hard on your sleeve personality in the best possible way that it is so, so good for the tour. Because even somebody like my sister um, who doesn't like, she likes tennis, but she's not, you know, like, like you and I are like glued to the TV. She finds Medvedev to be Absolutely hysterical, just absolutely hysterical to watch on the court. And she wants to watch tennis just to watch him. And I think that that is like the essence of why the tour needs to promote Daniel Medvedev as much as possible, because this is a guy that has the potential to really be a poster child for the tour and get a lot of clicks and eyes viewing uh, tennis. Yeah, he's a love or
1: hate guy, but it's such a good thing because he's gonna grab attention, right? Even you know, my my girlfriend doesn't really watch tennis that much, but she knows exactly who he is, and she's like, "Oh, every I don't really like him, but I love watching him play because it's such an attention grabbing person, and with his antics, it's it's really it's perfect for the sport. It's exactly what we needed." And a quick note on his playing style, he has a very, un- what we mean by unorthodox is that his strokes are not traditional whatsoever. They're a little bit clanky. He's got extremely long levers, so it looks really awkward. He's also, just for everyone's awareness, people who are generally over six foot three on a tennis court are considered slower. He has completely broken that uh, tradition. He is one of the fastest players on tour, and he's six foot six. It's We've never seen anything like it is the one downside to his game is that he cannot play on a clay court for his life. He literally screams out during his clay court matches on the tour. I hate this and I hate this surface. So the clay court season is kind of out for him as far as slam contention, which is a shame. I would like to see him do better on clay. Maybe he will. I don't really see it. His style just kind of doesn't suit it. He is arguably the best hardcore player in the world right now. And that is the strongest uh, surface.
0: Yeah. I mean, he did literally say in regards to clay courts that quote, quote, uh, why would I, do I look like a dog? Why would I want to play on dirt or something like something like that's ridiculous. He's, he's just a character. Um, and I think what, what makes Daniil different when we say like he's entertaining and he's good for the game and love, hate, etc. cetera, what makes him different from somebody like Nick Kyrgios, for example, who is also that type of player that like very showmanship, eccentric, eccentric, like all that stuff is that Daniil Medvedev like is very competitive. Very competitive, wants to win at all costs. Whereas, like all other players that I can think of that have that sort of extroverted personality seem to be aloof sometimes when it comes to actually winning the match. Whereas, Daniil is always very focused on winning the match, in my opinion. Like, even when Daniil is going aloof, he's going aloof to throw the other guy's momentum off to sort of reset the pressure dynamics that are going on within the match. And that's why that's why I think Daniil is so special.
1: Yeah, he's very disciplined within his own game. Like someone like Ala Kirgios or someone like that will generally have their extroverted personality also seen within their game with their trick shots and whatnot. Daniil is not that way. He is going to play his game straight up all the time. He doesn't really go for many crazy trick shots at all. He just lets his extroverted kind of personality and antics right outside when the point finishes in between points or when he's talking to the chair umpire or he's just laughing with some fans in the stands and that's kind of what we were missing like a number one a number two type player in the world who does that right we were missing that from you know matt that's why McEnroe was so attractive back in the day because McEnroe was so good at tennis but also he's an absolute loon but he would be an absolute loon outside of the actual playing, right? So when he played points, he was so serious because he was so competitive. And I think Medvedev is actually very similar in that way.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree with that with that assessment. I think that, yeah, I mean, just, just Medvedev is a fantastic player. I'm so happy that he's on the tour. I'm so happy that he's doing well. And I more than anything hope that we're able to see this guy on tour for a long time because he he is such a great example uh to every every kid in around the world that like just because you play differently than everybody else doesn't mean that there's not a place for you uh within the sport he's he's like a very perfect example of that and and you're going to hear about you know why uh more reasons as to why we we believe that medvedev is such a great example for particularly young coaches and anyone who's in a position of power within a tennis authority to to sort of examine medvedev is 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 a player that we're going to bring up but yeah the 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 last thing that i wanted us to talk about uh on these two player profile wrap-ups uh that's going to be a question regarding both of these guys marcus when do you think because i don't believe it's a question of if it's a, probably a question of when when do you believe that Daniil medvedev will take over novak djokovic's mantle as the number one player in the world Okay. Yeah, I, I I personally think probably, yeah, I would agree probably the end of this year. Uh, I think the one thing stopping it from happening earlier. Actually, you know what? I take that back. I think that Daniil Medvedev is going to get it by the end of March, beginning of April. I think he'll get it by then because I think he's going to do well enough at Indian Wells and Miami to get the number one ranking spot. And because Djokovic is seemingly not going to be able to participate in those events as of the this recording, uh, I think that, that Medvedev will, will overtake him. So, yeah, I, I would say it's going to happen within the next month or two. That would be my opinion. I, the only reason that would stop me uh, from saying anytime like, Between then, what I just said, and the end of the year, would be that I don't think Daniil's going to have much success on clay. And any event that Djokovic enters on clay, he's going to do fairly well at. Even if he doesn't win it, he's going to get to at least the semifinals, finals of.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm just thinking. I think by the end of the year, anyway, I think that Daniil dominates a summer hard court run. uh, After you know, after Wimbledon, he dominates that. Usually, dominates the U.S. Open and. I think he can also, if he entered in a couple of tournaments, I think he would, if he had the opportunity, he would enter in a couple of tournaments post-US Open to try to grab it, maybe a couple, of, like a 500 in Switzerland or something, you know, one of those events to try to grab some extra points to see if he can get the year-end world number one ranking, but yeah, I think with or without Djokovic's vaccine stance, um, I think he'll do it by the end of the year, and um, yeah, I'm really excited to see what the rest of this year of tennis holds. You know, we start off with a Great surprise with uh, Rafael Nadal winning the australian Open. We did not expect that. So I'm hoping that the rest of the season is full of surprises. So guys, thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow us on Instagram and hit us up, comment, like, you know, follow, subscribe, Uh, Breakpoint Podcast 7. We are on Spotify, Apple, Google, all your major podcast platforms, as you already know. You can email us, breakpointpodcast7 at gmail.com. Also, available via uh, carrier pigeon 11361 just tell the pigeon to drop it off at the usps maybe maybe they'll find us um yeah the one next
0: to the broadway the one next to the broadway long island railroad station that's where you can send your carrier pigeons
1: yeah that's where most of the pigeons hang out anyway so the pigeon go there have a smoke and whatnot um anyways guys thank you so much for uh for listening and uh, until next time
0: uh thanks for listening everybody and uh gee Don't even bother going to class. See ya.